0: Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Sayed. This episode is brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. Today we are going to talk to someone who's got a harrowing story about survivorship and thriving thereafterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared in our podcast can be graphic in nature. We do recommend you review the details of our podcast before tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. Welcome to calm after the storm survivorship and other stories. Today we have Melissa and Melissa is going to talk to us a little bit about her story, how she survived uh, her experiences and how she's thriving today. Melissa, do you want to start out by introducing yourself, please?
1: Absolutely. And thanks for having me here, Amy. I'm so honored. Um, I'm Melissa Penoblum. I am the proud mama of a vibrant, high energy, no nonsense little girl um, who is young but very wise and mm-hmm. soulful, and um, and I'm a life designer as well. And for those who don't know what that means, I help stressed, exhausted, overwhelmed women design their lives by moving them from chaos to calm to purposeful creation. And I work mostly with moms who are essentially burning out and who feel a heart tugging to live in a more aligned way. And it's something that, you know, I'm a lot of people ask like what my uniqueness is. It's not, I'm, I'm really just a regular woman who is a mother who's risen from the ashes and I'm sharing what's worked for me and continues to work for me.
0: That's awesome. And and we will talk a little bit about that today. And we're so excited to have you here because since I spoke to you the first time and I heard your story, it really resonated with me in the sense that you've been through a lot and you've been able to come out on the other side um, and not only thrive yourself, but you're helping other women thrive. And that's hugely commendable. So I want to take I want to start way back when you were a little girl and you were growing up. Can you talk a little bit about what your childhood looked like?
1: Yeah, it definitely, it was not, you know, out of a dreamy storybook, I'll tell you that. And I, you know, I used to describe it as a nightmare, to be quite honest. But I Mm -hmm. think now that I've, you know, come out on the other side, if you will, I I would rather describe it as nuanced. Mm -hmm. It was a childhood where I honestly don't have Many happy memories. I don't remember feeling joy and I resonate a lot with emotion. Yeah. And I can honestly say I don't remember a lot of joyful, happy, safe emotions. All those emotions that, you know, I would hear or that I hear now from friends, like I can't relate to those emotions because it wasn't a safe childhood for me.
0: Can you describe what you mean by it wasn't a safe childhood? Like, do you have examples? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think you know when I think about, and you know, as a mom, I think you can relate to this, Amy. Where Mm -hmm. as a mom, I know that I want to create a safe environment for my little girl. Like it's that's just basic, right? Like I I want her to feel safe. I want her to be able to talk to me about anything. I want her to be able to show her emotion, regardless of what it is—be it the temper tantrums or whatever. And I want her to be able to have her own thoughts and to think critically as she gets older. Yeah. That wasn't my childhood. My childhood was, and when I say lack of safety, it was physically unsafe. Okay. I witnessed a lot, a lot of abuse growing up, a lot of violence. Growing up, I very quickly in my life became the protector. Mm Mm-hmm of, uh, of my mom and I don't know how I became that way, but I, I, there was just a spark in me where I just, I could not stand down to wrongdoing. And it just, it was very apparent at a very young age. And so I, I was the one who often called the police to kind of seek out external support. I, you know, was in counseling because at the age of 14, because just something just felt so wrong. And I was so afraid of growing up to be just unstable, and that scared me more than anything else.
0: So let's talk about that story because I know you you've explained the story to me before, and I think it's it's super important for our listeners to know uh, the courage that you had to really rise above when you're only fourteen years old. So you were saying, first of all, you did call the police on your father. Um, how did that play out for you and what was the experience like?
1: It was, you know, I it's I remember it vividly where I remember, you know, my my mom approaching me. And again, if you can imagine this, this was around the age of uh 13, 14. And she had, you know, told me that, you know, she had been like harmed in a very significant way. And I remember watching her almost go through like this emotional paralysis. Like she could not move. She could not, she couldn't think. Yeah. And at that moment, I just said, okay you stay here and um her and i we locked ourselves into a bathroom mm-hmm. at that time and i had a younger sibling who was still living um in our home and he was upstairs and i remember the panic of not not seeing him and not yeah. being able to you know through my sight to validate that he was okay but i felt responsible for him mm-hmm. and at the same time it was conflicting because I I needed someone to be um responsible for me. So I, yeah. I just remember going through like, I I need a hug right now, but there's no one to like I literally remember having this internal conversation as I need a hug right now. Mm-hmm. And um, but I kind of stepped into the the action-oriented person yeah. that I've always been known to be. And I called the police and you know, they they arrested my father. And this is the key part about actually having a moment of pause and safety, because when and he was away for, you know, a number of months, and that was the those were the months where I got to process everything that had happened up until the age of 14. And It was a lot like there was not a day of peace. Mm-hmm. And so being able to be in a peaceful space, albeit like and so when that Those those pauses came and when the safety came, that's when I realized I am not okay. I know I'm only 14.
0: Yeah, but
1: I'm not okay. And that it was just this sinking feeling. And I kind of I'm an analytical person as well. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of looked at the resources around me. I have two older brothers and one younger. And I thought I can't we've all witnessed the same stuff here. They're not going to be able to help me. And I felt the need at the time to maintain a really strong persona at school. School was like another, it was my safe space for me to thrive and rise and adapt and show a side that I couldn't show at home. And I wanted that to stay the way that it was. And I heard about like this stuff called counseling. And so I literally had gone to school and hopped on a computer and, um, and I was on the bus like at seven in the morning, um, mm-hmm. going to counseling. And I remember the counselor at the time, I don't remember her name, but I, she said, what brings you here? And I, like, I literally just blurted it out. This, yeah. <laughs> she must've been a really great counselor because she was so stoic, didn't show any emotion. And she said, does anyone know that you're here? And I said, no. No. I didn't really tell anyone, I just kind of came. And, uh, and I remember, she said, I've never, I've never heard of like, someone like you just kind of picking up and finding yourself here. Normally, people get rides here from their parents. And I said, and I just said, I I can't, there's no one that can do this for me. So Mm -hmm. I'm here.
0: That's amazing. That's, that's really, really amazing story. So what ended up happening with the counselling at that point? Were you able to continue uh, with the counsellor?
1: You know what I did for a couple of sessions, I think, and in fairness, because I was, you know, seven in the morning is kind of a darker time in the morning. And so she, she talked a lot about like just wanting me to be physically safe and especially mm-hmm. with um, with me not even being able to share like that I was attending. And so yeah. what she did was, is she was fantastic. And this is how, you know, to fast forward many years when I got my master's in social work, mm-hmm. I had made a vow to myself that I would always tailor my services to whoever needed it. Like whoever was approaching me, there is not a one size fits all And I learned that from this woman because she, she literally sent me home with, I would say an arsenal of self growth and development, uh, strategies and tools. And she had a cassette tape. Mm -hmm. So we're going way back here. Yeah. (laughs) She had uh, a cassette tape and she, and it had affirmations. And, um, and she said, she said, do you have a Walkman at home? Mm -hmm. And I said, I do. And she said, I just, as you're going to bed, she said, I want you to put your, your headphones on and I want you to fall asleep, like with these affirmations, just playing. And, and she said, once the cassette ends, just fine, like let, let it go. And then she said, I want you to read a lot. Um, and I loved reading. So she was speaking my language and she said, but you know, I want you to read the stuff like like good stories good endings and and things like this and um and I said sure and like it was things like that uh-huh. that I do to this day and so you know it's interesting now we hear so much Amy about affirmations and positive self-talk well uh, literally I I know the power of that and I know why they're powerful No, it was literally like a toolkit that raised me, essentially, like I learned values, I learned standards from just someone acting in such a kind manner towards me. And it was Mm -hmm. it's been very uplifting to this day.
0: That's amazing. And so how long do you think you went to her for therapy? And what did your situation look like coming out of your teen years?
1: So I would say I went, you know, sporadically here and there where I like when I had enough bus money to get to her and it didn't last long. It honestly lasted probably about a total of a month. Okay. Um and that was going, you know, once a week and and so on because I was literally going before school racing back <laughs> to yeah. to school. Um and then I also had uh, you know two part-time jobs and things like oh, this wow. and so I think she she recognized that as well and didn't want another thing for me to do, which is why I really, really now value more and more what she did for me. My teenage years, I think, you know, God bless my mom's heart. She, uh, when my father was out of the scene, I really, my personality really started to show in ways like I you know, I, I'm sure she experienced me as a very rebellious. I questioned a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I questioned a lot of things when I was a little girl as well, but now like I took my voice to probably (laughs) octaves that she wasn't used to Yeah, because I felt safe to, I felt comfortable to. And so, you know, I grew up in a culture, I grew up in a culture where um, in a family culture in particular where, you know, I wasn't allowed to talk to boys. I wasn't allowed to date. And yeah. um, and I took it upon myself to start dating. And I said, well, why should I be afraid of these guys? Like, why? Like yeah. I go to school with them and I didn't, I didn't understand. And so, you know, I went against her wishes so many ways because mm-hmm. I wanted to start to think for myself yes. and I wanted to start experiencing Natural yet safe consequences to my life choices. On the other hand, I was super a type. If I didn't get straight A's, I was very angry, very upset. Yeah. Most yeah. of my teenage years, I was—I would say—I was very angry, and uh, and any emotion that I felt were intense. And so, you know, I had a great group of friends, but I could be mad at them on any given day for any anyone trigger. So I was very easily triggered, angry all of the time. But I had my outlets, academics were an outlet for me. And I thrived in that and cheerleading was an enormous outlet for me. And um, that's the part where I could just live in the moment and for, you know, five minutes of memorizing a routine, I was in my glory and bringing joy to the world as I saw it. Yeah, And I got to slap a smile on my face for five minutes straight. And um, even faking it for five minutes allowed me to feel what joy could feel like for me.
0: That's amazing. So, so what did your, I guess your mother did end up leaving your father during your teenage years, right? Is that what you're saying?
1: No, she didn't. she okay. ended up um she ended up um you know, when he returned home, he was allowed home okay and um and I spoke out about that um many times mm-hmm. and um you know, and again, it was in when I became an an adult, that was when i you know and especially when I got married and and had a little girl and then was faced with, you know, similar decisions as my mom made, I, it was, it became confusing, right? Like I, I could understand what it's like to be a woman who has all these different variables to consider, but then having to relinquish control over what decisions and choices she made was a really tough one for me Mm -hmm. because I wanted her decision to be based on me.
0: Yeah, and my of safety
1: and my best interests, but that was just one lens. And to this day, I couldn't tell you what all the different variables are in her own mind. But mm-hmm. I know, woman to woman, I can say to her, I understand what it's like to be faced with really hard decisions um, all of the time, and have to weigh out the pros and cons, have to like face the fear of judgment, the fear of shame, and and all of that.
0: So, so into your 20s, what did that look like for you? When did you start to realize that what you'd experienced was having a lasting effect on you? And how did you learn how to come out of that period of your life?
1: I chose a university that was at a distance. I was born and raised in southwestern Ontario, mm-hmm. and I chose Ottawa <laughs> as, uh, as my post-secondary educational community. And I, I went there and I don't even, I would have to say it wasn't until I was 21 that I realized that I was stuck in a pattern of essentially being attracted to violent, abusive people. Uh And, um, and I, and I know this because I literally at that, at that time, I had a boyfriend that no one liked and significantly older than me. And, you know, and he was physically abusive, emotionally, very controlling and all of that. And logically I knew it wasn't normal, but there was this odd safety in in knowing in being able to know, like it was a normal feeling. It was a Mm -hmm. safe normal, even though it was, it was odd and illogical. And so, um, I went, I was with him all throughout my undergraduate degree. And, and I only ended that relationship when I moved back to Southwestern Ontario and I was around like my own family and friends and, you know, was kind of observant because I thought, Oh my gosh, like, there are guys who are speaking really nicely to me. And that and that was the moment where I decided, okay, I get to create a new normal for myself. And I get to be the one that expresses my emotion, (laughs) the way that I need to and to be supported in that. And, and so I that was my journey throughout my my 20s. Because the other side of it was, and again, when you're no longer living in a fearful situation or in a fearful dynamic and an yeah. unsafe dynamic, for me, my how I tend to express it is through anger, at least it was through for many years at that time, is I would just go from feeling unsafe and really quiet and not being able to express to anger. And so I think for me, the journey has been how do i not go from what i call you know extremes but to know the difference between healthy anger and unhealthy anger and and also being able to create a life where i can express emotion with people who will support me in mm-hmm. every aspect yeah. of my life and yeah. and also to uplift myself and know that i'm capable of of taking care of myself as well, and that I'm always going to be safe without relying on something external. So those have been kind of the key pieces or key facets that I've had to learn. Um, But it didn't, like, I didn't have this major awakening one day. It was literally, it was the subtle things because I had to still go through what I want to call a teenage experience and young adulthood experience while like trying to break out of my own abusive cycles as well.
0: So you're talking about healthy anger versus unhealthy anger. Can you talk a little bit more about that or what your perspective is on what healthy anger could look like in comparison with anger that becomes unhealthy?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think so based on, you know, I always thought to myself, okay, as long as I'm not belittling or threatening or screaming. And because that's everything that I witnessed at home. Mm-hmm. So that's how I defined anger. Because I wasn't taught what anger actually is, I thought anything that's not those things is healthy anger. But in fact, you know, for me, like anytime I felt like things were out of my control, and for many of us who, you know, have had a long history of feeling of like losing a sense of control is absolutely real and not knowing what to do when we're not feeling in control is a really uncomfortable feeling. yeah and so but anytime I was experiencing that I would go to anger to try to harness control. yes and I and it gave me this illusion that I could control anything going on when sometimes we just can't. Mm-hmm. And so I think the work has been for me is to discern, you know, do, do I need to have control of this thing, of this person, of this situation? And more often than not, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't need to. And then the other part of it is when there is a boundary that has been crossed. And I, you know, I've had to work on boundaries for many, many years. And I think it's just something we always have to, to work on. But boundaries for me when you know there has been a limit and it's kind of like a line in the sand and it has been crossed yeah being able to check in with myself and ask the question how do I feel about this and if the response to that is I feel angry but I feel angry because and I can name it um and I can communicate it then I believe that that's the healthy version of it because I I think being you know I think anger serves a purpose um, when it's experienced in a healthy way and anger. Now I can say that anger is a signal for me that my boundaries are kind of being tested or pushed yeah. or crossed yeah. and it gives me an opportunity to communicate it and, um, you know, and whether or not I get the response that I want out of it, at least I've communicated it and then I have choices that I can make from there.
0: Yeah. Now, this is amazing uh, work that you've done. And I know that you said you've done your master's in social work. Has Has it been a culmination of your experiences? Like, what does, what does thriving look like to you today? If somebody were to say that, you know, I've been through a really tough time and I've got this anger still, the unhealthy kind, what would you recommend to them in terms of, you know, what worked for you in coming out of that feeling?
1: I think the for me what's helped me cuz i started this in my 20s as well mm-hmm. is creating a lifestyle of of health and safety and and i can share what that's meant for me cuz mm-hmm. i think it can help other people and i often refer to it when working with women Mm -hmm. and moms in particular is meditation, right? And I think that often meditation is so overwhelming and intimidating for most Mm -hmm. because it's how do you sit down and how do you sit still um, for minutes at a time? Well, for me, I didn't force myself to, and I often refer to mental pause moments in my work. And that's literally can you sit and take three to five deep breaths? Yes, because we breathe all the time. Yeah. But to absolutely. do it purposefully and mindfully and intentionally, that's a different experience. And we then start to create these habits that continue to widen and widen until they just become like teeth brushing. Yeah. In my experience. So meditation and and finding moments of pause, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. I also think releasing and getting out there, our experiences, our stories, what, you know, how they have shaped us in both unhealthy and healthy ways, because only by identifying and naming it, can we take action on them. So, you know, but I also think that, you know, doing it in a way where we don't feel ashamed, or where we're not being made to feel shame, I think is the key. I think shame is a very common emotion that comes up when we begin to share our stories, but I think creating a safe support for ourselves where we can share the, the muddy, the muddy stuff and the gunk is going to be really important. And I am relentless about who's in my life. Um, I, you know, the minute that I don't feel comfortable being who I am, And, um, you know, and my marriage, I think is a prime example of that is I, I know what it is that I need my life to look like. And I know how I want to feel in the life that I design for myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that even being able to describe that and name that and constantly communicate it. And hopefully work on it with other people that we surround ourselves by are really important. And that's part of like the strategy is self-care and having strategies in place and then having the supports in place to do that and never giving up, like even finding the space every single day to work on ourselves.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it's, it's truly inspirational. I want to talk a little bit about the shame aspect, because I think that's super important for anybody who's gone through anything, any type of trauma in their life, whether it was in childhood um, or in latter life, um, particularly in childhood, I think, because when we're children, I don't think we realize that we are feeling shameful, right? For feeling that we we need that safety or we need Um, We have needs that are not being met by our parents in particular. So um, let's talk a little bit about shame and, and healing shame. What do you recommend in terms of what's worked for you when it comes to recognizing when you're feeling the shame, why you may be feeling shame and naming the shame?
1: I journaling is my go to for everything. And I it's interesting, because I teach this to my daughter where, you know, we'll both stand up in front of a mirror and kind of say things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes and I noticed this with affirmations from a very young age is, you might hear, you know, even an affirmation of like, I can be anything, I can do anything shame for me showed up in me not believing an ounce of what that was of those affirmations. And so it literally became, okay, I need to figure out why I don't believe this. Why don't I believe that I can be anything? Why Mm. don't I believe that I can do anything? Yeah, And that's where like the stories get pulled out and I'll even, you know, compare, right? Like the innocence of my daughter when she'll stand in front of a mirror and she'll say, I can do anything. I can be anything. And it is from a purely innocent place. And where I, where I'm amazed is, you know, how far I've come right in terms of like, now I believe it. I believe that I can be anything. I believe that I can do anything, but I'll tell you many, many years ago, I didn't believe it. And I think that's a good signal to start with is by simply asking, Why don't, why don't I believe this affirmation and being really honest on paper Mm -hmm. about it. And then I think from there finding people who, you know, have stories that are similar around, you know, trauma to triumph, you know, and, um, and that the work has not ended for any of us. It's work that we continue to do all of the time. And I literally, an example of that is, um, I've joined a a mastermind for moms recently because I just thought I, I wanted to kind of up level my life even more Mm -hmm. and be in a safe space to kind of share, you know, some of the shadows, if you will, that still always have to be worked on and teased out. Yeah. And so I'm always connecting myself to people that I want to feel safe with and who will cheerlead me Um, cheer me on as I continue to rise in my journey. I think that's the other piece, because sometimes I'm ashamed of the shame, even if that makes any sense. And so having to talk about it more out loud, not to normalize it, but if nothing else to release it, and then to give myself the opportunity to heal from it is so powerful.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How is your relationship with your parents now?
1: They are. So I would say with my father, it is respectful on kind of a, you know, a human level, like I've, I've been raised, and I'm kind of proud of the fact that I will say hello to anyone that I pass. Mm -hmm. Um, I will do wellness checks on on folks all the time. And, um, and he did like, you know, without him, I wouldn't be here. Plain and yeah. simple. And yeah. so, and even having witnessed everything that I've witnessed, I wouldn't be the strong personality that I am. Like it, I really don't believe I would be had I mm-hmm. not gone through what I had. And so to that end, I, you know, I respect him yeah. as, you know, as a man and as my father. And I have compassion for him because of what he witnessed growing up. And, you know, unfortunately for him, he didn't have the same awareness as as I did, or maybe didn't take action on them. And that's the part that I don't have control over. Yeah, but I do have control whether or not I have compassion for him. And I choose to have compassion. I can't control his decisions or, or what he cycle. Um, My mom and I, had a very enmeshed codependent relationship, obviously, based on what I've shared here so far. Mm -hmm. And once I moved, I would say about 15, almost 20 years ago, that's when I started to kind of work on those pieces. And so now, you know, she, and luckily, I'd been able over the years to connect her to different supports and to kind of coach her in a way where I had to go back to being her daughter and to, you know, and have like my own boundary life through that. But I, man, do I admire her strength Cause I, you know, I tell anyone I could not live through what, like what she lived through <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't. And, um, and I don't know. And I, she often would say it's the only the only thing that kept me going was being the mother of four kids. Yeah. But I, like, I just, I think even to this day, I think, oh my goodness. Yeah. Four kids. But wow. Like you, you sacrificed yourself for, for us. Like, you know, and uh, so I have a lot of respect for her. Do I wish that she did? But again, this is it. Now's the time for for my story. And I have a little girl whose story I'm changing just by changing myself. Oh, for
0: sure. So, for sure.
1: So, but yeah, no, we have a, we have a great relationship. I think, you know, it's interesting. I've held a space in my mom's life, maybe because, you know, women have different conversations, I think amongst themselves at times. And mm-hmm. so, Sometimes she'll ask me questions just about generally like life and how women make choices and how do we discern all of these different aspects. And, and so I can share woman to woman what it is that I've learned and I've done. Yeah. And every once in a while, she'll say to me, you know, like you're really strong and I've, I've grown in and, and this and this way because of you. And that's really humbling coming from her. That's mm-hmm. super humbling for me.
0: Well, I mean, people's children are their biggest teachers, right? So uh, you'll learn that as your daughter grows, um, I've got older ones too. And the older ones really, they keep me in check. And it's really, really, uh, it's a rewarding experience. But absolutely, I always tell people that if you've got if you've got anything within yourself that needs to be improved, you're, you, you'll definitely hear it from your kids, <laughs> you know? know. Um, so so it's nice to hear, and I'm sure she's super proud of the woman you're becoming um, because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're making an impact. Now, usually what we do at this point, Melissa, is I ask, if you have anyone in your life that you'd like to dedicate this podcast to, somebody who perhaps has not survived, Um, did you want to share somebody with us?
1: Yeah, I am. Great timing for this question. I lost my aunt um, at the end of January. Actually, sorry to hear that. She was actually quite a vibrant personality. I called her my my auntie, my auntie Clarice, and you know she loved the holidays she loved christmas and um and in, in my family we celebrate easter and uh christmas uh night uh heading back home from one of her kids place cuz they celebrated together they had dinner um she was involved in a car accident she was hit um by a drunk driver oh i'm sorry and after about being in the hospital for about a month she couldn't fight it anymore. And she passed, she left us. Um, So and I so I dedicate this to her because I think that she, you know, for many years, she suffered, um, you know, some health complications, But she was always very positive. She, you know, I remember working for her when I was a little girl. She owned like a little Caribbean grocery store. Yeah. And that's how I was able to get my school clothes. When my family and I were homeless, she was the only one who took us in. Like she literally clothed us, fed us. That's amazing. Took care of us. And so I dedicate my story today for her.
0: Thank you so much for for joining us today uh we're super excited to learn more about your group that you've set up in the community that you're building and the wonderful work you're doing with other women out there um for all of the listeners we will be providing links so that you can get in touch with melissa if you want to learn more about the work that she does and uh, if you just want to reach out to her to ask her any questions thank you again melissa we really appreciate your time
1: Thanks, Amy, for having me. It's been such an incredible honor. Thank you so much. Pleasure.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today's episode was brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. We look forward to hearing from you again. Feel free to leave comments and suggestions in the message area below or to reach out to our team if you feel that you are a good candidate for appearing on Calm After the Storm.